Good morning. Our reading today is in the book of Exodus, chapter 31, verses 12 to 18. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep their Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generation as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be back with you. Uh, greetings from your grandchildren. Um, let me explain. Uh, Citizens Church, if you didn't know this, is a third-generation church plant from Wallenstein, so we are technically your church plant grandchild, and uh, it is really, Citizens Church is an example of the faithfulness of God over decades and decades of just trusting Him and asking Him to do something. So, let our little church plant even be a testimony to you as you make decisions today that may bear fruit in the next few months, but they might bear fruit in a few decades from now. And yet God calls us to be faithful to what he has laid before us. So greetings from your grandchildren. And some of you literally have grandchildren there. So uh, <laughs> they haven't uh, given me, you know, authorization, but I greet you in their name as well. It's really great to be uh, looking at this uh, series this morning, The Names of God, which in many ways, as I was studying uh, the name for this week, is meant to awaken us to who God is. To set before us in, in a new, in a fresh way, old truths that will help us see God in greater ways and worship Him. Probably many of us know this, but everybody around us worships something. Everybody is worshiping. So we may be here worshiping Jesus, but if you go and uh, interact with people at your work or maybe uh, your neighbors, you'll quickly discover what it is they worship. Maybe they know all the latest statistics on their favorite sports team and it's what just consumes their mind and their thinking and their their weeks revolve around it maybe it's their work that they know every last 
detail. They know where every last penny is going. The bottom line is the driver. Some sort of thing is causing them to put all their attention onto it. And their worship is driven. Now, I can, I can see actually uh, on the walls here, um, just as a reminder, probably the leadership is grateful that I'm bringing up actually the reason why Wallenstein is here. So I, I snooped on your website this week. And here's what it says your vision is. I'm not sure if you know this. This is the vision of Wallenstein Bible Chapel. Our vision is to be a community of people who are all for Christ. It's on the wall. All for Christ. And your mission is very similar. It says this. Our mission is helping people find and follow Jesus. So I'm not sure why you came here. Maybe you love the worship. Maybe you love the building. Maybe you love Gary's preaching. I don't know what it is. But I want to remind all of you, those of you who come here regularly, and even those of you who are maybe visiting for the first time, the vision of this church is that you would be all in for Christ. That you would deepen on a, on a weekly basis, at least here, and probably on a daily basis, your love for him. That you would long to seek, seek him and to know him. But this series is not just about knowing more about God. It could very easily be that. Each week, new name for God. You can kind of see it on the list there. There's a whole bunch of them. And you just kind of, you leave this series increased in knowledge for God. If that's only what would happen, I think it would be a mistake. It'd be a missed opportunity. It's like um, my wife and I, she's sitting in the third row there. We've been married for 25 years now. Last year was our 25th year anniversary. I can't even believe it. But if you were to come to me and ask me, what do you know about Liz? What have you, you know, 25 years together, what kind of lessons have you learned? And if, if all I said to you was, I've learned a lot about her. She's got two arms. She's got two legs. She's got a head with some hair on it. Get this, she's got all fingers and all toes. It's a miracle. I've learned so much about her. You would probably pull me aside and say, how's the marriage going, you know? Like, you know, is everything all right? Because all you're giving me is information. Here we're coming to the scriptures again to look at a, another name of God. And the, the goal of this whole series and the goal of today is that we would not only increase in our knowledge of God, yes, that will happen, but we will actually deepen our, our love for him and our commitment for him. James K. Smith says this, Discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than of knowing and believing. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our lives and longings with his to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. That's what we need, is a insatiable hunger and thirst for God, to know him in a relational and personal way so that we are really all for Christ at the end of the day, corporately as a church 
and as individuals. And so today we are starting with Jehovah Mekadishakim. I got the longest name out of all of them, I think, okay? And I'm probably not going to say it again this morning because I'm not even sure if I said it right this time, okay? But this is where we are. The God who is holy. And this is our starting point. This name for God actually means the Lord who sets apart. And maybe this has been said every week, but names are really important in, in the scripture. They're, they're important for us today still. We, if you have children, you probably name your child because of maybe a name that you really like. Maybe it has significance. It's got some genealogical family connections. Um, we were missionaries in Africa for about five years, and naming people is really important. And the names that you give even have significance. So when a mother would have a child, she would do that in a hut, and she would stay in the hut for a number of days, and then she would come out, sit in front of the hut with this new child, and all the family in the village would gather around, and it was what they called a baby naming ceremony. And they would name the child right there on the spot and give it a name of significance. And the, all the different ones had different meanings and different background to them. One of the names that was very significant was the name Ibrahima, which is the Arabic name for Abraham. And that name was given to male sons who they believed would be leaders in the village. So they would name this child Ibrahima at just a few days old. And the anticipation was that they would grow up to be a leader in the village. Now here's the challenge with that. Would this little Ibrahima become a good and kind leader? Or wouldn't they? I mean, there's 18, 20, 30. Most of them didn't become leaders till they were around 40, 40 years of development. And the challenge for those people in that time and space was that they would be given this name of significance as a leader, but the quality of the person was never known. And here we see, as we're looking at the names of God, each week, I, I hope you've been getting a, a greater glimpse into the good and great and beautiful names of God, as they show us in a deeper and a fuller way who he is, what his character is, and how he acts toward us, his creation. So this morning we are beginning with the Lord who sets you apart. And we're going to begin with the God who is holy. Because God sets apart, he does the work of holiness, but God himself is actually holy. That's our starting point. To know God is to know that he is holy. When Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, you remember how he begins? He begins the prayer this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowing. Not a word that we use very often. But Jesus is teaching his disciples to hallow God's name. That's yeah, another way of saying it is, and we don't even speak this way, but it's kind of like holifying God's name. It is setting God's name apart. Jesus says, when you pray, he gives us this template for learning how to pray. He says, when you pray, the first thing that you need to do in prayer is set God's name apart because he is holy. The Lord is holy. What most of us tend to do in our prayers is that we inverse that. We do the reverse. We go to God and we ask him for things. 
Our requests are kind of primary. And the last thing that we do maybe is honor his name. And Jesus says, no, that's not the right order actually. When it comes to prayer, when it comes to things connected to God, it's to recognize that God is holy. His name is to be hallowed. The holiness of God means that God is set apart. God is totally unique. God is different from you and I in infinite ways. And the scriptures on repeat are trying to open our eyes through all kinds of imagery and all kinds of activity throughout the centuries and millennia for us to see this God who is holy. He is different. So I chose a a passage in scripture that is probably maybe most popular when it comes to the holiness of God and getting a a visual of it. And it's from Isaiah chapter 6. And I'll I'll throw the text up here. You can look it up if you want as well in your scriptures in Isaiah chapter 6. To, to just get some background to this text. The background is actually in Second Chronicles 26. And in there you've got the retelling of all these different leaders of Israel. And it talks about the, the king Amaziah who was a, a bad king. Did not follow God. Led the nation to worship other gods. But then he had a son Uzziah. And if you're familiar with the story, you'll know that Uzziah, at the age of 16, gets promoted to the king. Just imagine that, a 16-year-old. He becomes the king of the nation. And Uzziah, from 16 years on, faithfully follows God. I mean, he leads the people in in a good direction, the, the opposite of his father. He leads them and does well, and it just shows them prospering and moving forward. And for 52 years, he reigns. But near the end of his life, it says that in his old age, actually, pride began to rise up within him. Just imagine, all these years faithfully following God, and now near the end of his life, he rises up in pride, and he does something that is not permitted at all. He enters into the temple to offer his own sacrifices, and the priests just lose it. They're like, what are you doing, Uzziah? Get it. And while he's in there, leprosy actually breaks out on his forehead, and from that day on till the day he dies, he's leprous, and he has stepped outside of the will of God. And it's into that context that we hear in Isaiah chapter 6 what God reveals to Isaiah the prophet. Look at these verses. Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another. So they're back and forth to each other saying this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips 
and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Here's the vision that the prophet gets. In contrast to Uzziah and the the personal pride of an old king, God gives to Isaiah this grand vision and he helps us even see it. You can imagine like a room like this, you know, being the, the robe of one who is holy, filling this space. All these things are visual images for us to be able to somehow with our small minds and hearts grasp the holiness of God. And all they're repeating is holy, holy, holy. God, unlike us, is perfect, is set apart unto himself. And the Bible on repeat gives us this grand vision of the holiness of God. This is just one little view, one little window. But over and over again, in different ways and in different categories, it opens our eyes. It's trying to draw us in, trying to pull us in and say, do you know this God? Are you following this God who is holy, who is set apart? Is your imagination awakened to the reality of a holy God? The author of The Little Prince, Antoine, you can read his last name, he's French. He writes this, If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. This is what the scriptures are doing when they show to us who God is, his holiness, his majesty, And the result then, very fitting for the the morning we've just had here, the result then is for us, his people, the pinnacle of his creation, to worship him. Because he's unique. He's different. He is holy. So we are called to worship him. Psalm 99 says this, The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. God's holiness. The proper response to understanding the holiness of God is worship and praise. Whether in word here, like we're just reading in Psalm 99, or with our lives, or like we just talked this morning, in any area of life. And so God is separate, which, which is, just, just for the record, the, the fact that God is holy and separate is truly good news. That he's not like us is very good news. We are tainted by sin and brokenness. God is not. God is perfect in every single way. God is ultimate goodness. He is ultimate beauty. So his holiness means he is different from us, but it is such good news for us that he is perfect and good. He judges rightly. Anything he does is done well and to perfection. So the holiness of God is great news for us. To know him in that way should just cause us to to worship and long to be with him. It also reminds us that God seeks his own glory. And this is also good news. 
We would rather have our own glory satisfied, usually at the expense of others, but God must be glorified because he is holy and perfect and he is working out his plan so that we actually would enter into that glory to experience who he is, all that he is. So he is the God who is holy. Second, he's the God who expects us to be holy. He's the God who expects us to be holy. So both from the Old Testament and from the New Testament, we see this calling, this communication from God. So if we go to Leviticus, now there's a few times in, in, the, in the law where God says this, but we're going to the heart. This is like Leviticus, the book that you labor through when you're reading through your you know, one-year reading plan. Right in the heart of it, here's what it says. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Then we come all the way to the New Testament. And Peter, in 1 Peter, echoes this. Echoes this call. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So there's the calling. God's expectation. God is holy. And now his expectation for us is that we too would be holy. So, what comes to your mind when you think of being holy? What does it mean to be holy? Maybe you think of uh, a holy person, you know, maybe like a, a priest is like an, an imagination that comes to your mind, or maybe like a, a pastor or a religious leader, someone who's kind of got it all together, at least from the outside. Or maybe there's certain actions that you should do, and depending on your tradition, you have different reasons for doing them. I grew up um, Russian Mennonite is my background, and my mom tells me stories of when, I don't remember this, but she said, man, when we were really young, nobody could have Christmas trees. You know, it was like, don't, don't you dare have a Christmas tree up. You, if you get spotted with that, you know, I don't know, someone's going to take you down or something, okay? And she was like, that was the rule. And there's probably hundreds of other things that can come into your mind very easily. Because oftentimes we as people feel that we can, we can earn this holiness. And this is a human trait, that we can earn this holiness. So when we come to our text this morning, Exodus 31, where we see the name of God coming out, we see that God actually addresses, for most of the text, it's mostly work that he's talking about. You'll see the, the idea of Sabbath just comes up over and over again. So look at verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. There's the name. I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Wow. Strong language when it comes to God making holy and the Sabbath. Now listen, 
uh, Exodus 19, all the way up to 31 here. If you look back over the pages, if you kind of flick back over them, you'll see God is instructing them on temple worship, all the different things that need to be done, all the different laws. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be done. And so now Moses, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts in here this reminder of Sabbath rest. That they are not to be a people solely absorbed with work. Because, I don't know about you, but we as humans love to work. We love to work. Now, listen, work is a wonderful thing. It's given to us by God before the fall. So work is not sinful. The difficulty now of work is a part of the fall. But work itself is given to Adam and Eve before sin enters into it. So work is a good thing. But work can be all-consuming. It can become the thing in our lives. There is a word in Japan. This is maybe an extreme version of it. There's a word in Japan called, it says this, karoshi. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before. Karoshi. I'm sure you all have, okay? But if you haven't, karoshi. It, it means this, death by overwork. Death by overwork. It was coming about in the Japanese culture from the 70s and the 80s and into the 90s where technology was increasing and there was this ever-increasing amount of work that people were doing. And from the, the culture itself, people were so driven to work so much that by in, in the 90s and in the 80s, people were beginning to work to the point where they would literally drop over dead from overwork. And there were different studies that were done. And from those studies, this word came out, karoshi. Overworking to the point of death. And in Genesis chapter 2, God gives to mankind the gift of Sabbath. It's actually the first thing that he marks as holy. Connection back to that word. God says, you will have the seventh day. It will be set apart. You'll work. For six days, you'll work. That's part of your being. But on the seventh day, you will rest. And God gives that day to humanity for a number of reasons. To remind us, firstly, that we are weak. We don't need sickness to remind us that. God wants to remind us that we are weak. We can only do so much. It's a reminder that our lives are short. And finally, it's a reminder that God is actually the center. This is the, the reminder of Sabbath, that God and his work is actually the most important work that gets done. So, though we're clamoring to work, we're reminded in Exodus here, we're reminded in Genesis 2 that God has actually done one, he's created one thing separate for us, and that is actually a Sabbath rest to be reminded of who he is and what he's done for us. But not only the, the work part, but also when it comes to knowing him and being in relationship with him. So when we look at the Gospels again, we see that God, through the person of Jesus, is running up against the religious leaders who have actually taken the idea of Sabbath and have twisted it on its head. 
have turned it into a religious activity. So when Jesus, imagine this, Jesus, the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for, is present in their midst in the land of Israel, and he's healing people, and he's providing for people, and sometimes he's even doing it on the Sabbath. All the religious leaders can think of is, he worked on the Sabbath. They're they're unable to see the Messiah in their midst doing work that only God can do. And they're only thinking about religious activity. The text here is reminding us that God says that we are called to be holy and that actually comes through Sabbath rest. The total opposite of what we would would think of. God says, you will actually rest And in that rest, you'll discover how you get holiness. So holiness through rest, and this holiness ultimately leads to worship. Walter Brueggemann, a well-known Old Testament scholar, says this, Sabbath is resistance, he says, resistance to the human will. Sabbath is a visible insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and consumption of commodity goods. It's a reminder that our life is not simply made up of working, earning a check, buying food or vacations. Sabbath reminds us that our lives are actually wrapped up in God. That's where they find their true fulfillment. That's why work never brings full satisfaction. So we're reminded in Exodus, practice Sabbath so that we can be holy and can worship God. Finally, the God who makes holy. So we've seen that he's the God who is holy. He's the God who expects us to be holy. And now we've come to the God who makes us holy. And I don't know if you've uh, experienced this before, but there is a, a division between God and us. And I've never seen the Grand Canyon. I don't know if some of you have seen the Grand Canyon before. I've only seen pictures of it. I'd like to get there someday to see this big thing. I've seen there's a place where you can go and you can walk out on this glass deck I don't know if I can handle that. You know, you walk out on this glass deck and you walk into the chasm. But you still, from the pictures at least, you look out and the other side is still, it's distant away. And when we look at the holiness of God, this is a, it's the same thing that's happening. We see that God is so different. God is so holy. He's so perfect. And here we stand on this side, unable to cross. And maybe you've even, you know, used a a Bible track that kind of has that visual of this chasm between God and us. Theologians call this imminence and transcendence, where transcendence is that God is holy and distant. He is so other. He is so separate from us, what we've just read in Isaiah. And yet at the same time, there is an imminence. There is a nearness where God is actually close. We see this best in the person of Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way, God is the beyond in the midst of our lives. He's transcendent, He's holy, and yet he's present. He came in the person of Jesus, 
but he also comes into our lives through the, the beautiful message of the gospel. And so when we see Jesus, we see a, a man who is perfect in all ways, forgiving, loving, responding in just the right way. I don't know about you, but that's not me. I'm on the other side of the canyon. There's a grand difference between the person of Jesus and my own life on any given day. Falling short is the right phrase to describe me. But the story of the Bible and the story of the scriptures is a story of God's plan. And it's the story that we call the good news. Because God had in his mind from eternity past that this chasm would be brought together. That all the, the longings that we would have as people would be satisfied in him. And that when Christ came and lived the perfect life and died on the cross, a perfect sacrifice, rising to life, that through him we would actually find a way to be brought near to God. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, also in Romans, gives a great explanation on all that's happened and, and we wouldn't even have time to begin to peer into all the details of it but Paul explains to the believers in Ephesus all that Christ has done for them he says this in chapter 1 verse 4 he says this even as he that's Christ chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him this is what's actually happened in the work of salvation, God has made us holy. Mekadishikim. God has done it. Through the, the work of Christ, he has brought it together so that we don't even see it in, in ourselves, but God sees in us all that we can be because of Christ. Not because of the goodness in us, nothing that we've earned Nothing that we've worked for. It is a gift from him. In the early 1500s, there was a large marble stone. Maybe you've heard this story before. Maybe there was a, there was a large marble stone that was drug into the city of Florence in Italy. And there was a sculptor who was going to sculpt an Old Testament prophet from this large stone. The, the sculptor was Donatello. And when he came to actually look at the large, I don't know if you've seen marble carvings before, especially in Italy, this massive piece, he looked at it and he saw an imperfection in it. A crack that went in it. And he said, I can't use this. And so he rejected this giant slab. Another sculptor saw the same big piece of marble. And as he looked at it, it said that there arose in his mind something of immense beauty. And from that large piece of marble came the sculpture David. I don't know if anybody's seen this thing in person before. I haven't. There's another thing. Okay, one person has seen it. 17 feet tall, 6 feet wide, this massive sculpture of David. This is what the gospel does. The gospel actually sees in you all that you can be through the person of Christ. Because God has set you apart. God is the only one who can do this. 
None of us can do it. Our brokenness is too deep. Nobody can do it from an exterior perspective. We need changing from the inside out. And so God has actually done this. It's the miracle of the gospel. When we put our trust in him, the Holy Spirit comes into us and we are made new. The holiness of God shapes our lives. It is ultimately the grace of God. Robert Elwell says this, When God declares something holy, he claims it for himself, taking it out of ordinary circulation and declaring it special. This is what God has done. He has made us holy. It is, it's the grace of God, the grace of God that he can make us holy so that someday when our life is over, we can stand in his presence, holy, made perfect, all because of the work of Christ. So that's a wonderful promise. But just finally, we're also given the promise that God is working out his holiness in our lives in the here and now, in the very things that we're doing on a Monday through Saturday, all even into Sunday here. And we heard this scripture read already this morning. But in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here Paul again is coming through 11 chapters of like trying to get these believers to understand the gospel. He's explained it all from beginning to end, from our sinfulness to all that we have in Christ to his resurrection power. And now he says, you have been separated. You have been separated to God. Your lives are now hid in Christ. You're his. But Paul says, that's, that's a wonderful truth to take into eternity. And we will all take it with us. But Paul says, it's a wonderful truth actually to affect your everyday living. When you go to work, when you go to school, when you're at home, all of those places are actually impacted by the, the truth that you have been set apart. That the God who makes holy has made you holy. So often we come to the end of a, a message and we kind of ask, okay, hey, where's the application? You know, like, tell me what to do. What am I supposed to do? And this verse just makes it really simple for all of us. Your application is all of life. Your application is that all of life should be affected by the fact that you've been made holy by a God who makes holy. So the way you react the way that you respond to sin in your life, the way that you react to the, to the great things that come into your life, and even into the hardest of hard things. Paul's reminding us that we are called to be marked as people who are holy. So this series is, in many ways, a series to wake us up. Wake us up to who God is. To, to know Him more, and to experience him in our lives so that we can see him afresh. And 
The Apostle Paul also uses this phrase, Awake, O sleeper. Hopefully I didn't have to wake anybody up there, right? Awake, O sleeper. Okay? Paul's saying, like, get it today. Wake up. And oftentimes, what wakes us up is suffering and struggling in people's lives. And just this week, it, this kind of showed up in one of my social media feeds. It was actually a, uh, a message from four years ago from Tim Keller, who was a well-known author and pastor in New York City. And in June of 2020, he kind of, because he was like a celebrity in, in many ways, because wrote many books and gone to conferences. He put on Instagram an, a message to anybody who kind of followed his ministry. And he said, I've just received news that I have stage four pancreatic cancer. This was June 2020. And so he said, I feel perfectly fine. It just happened to be one of those uh, times where you go into the doctors and you do your regular stuff and they found it. There it was, present. And so he said, I just want you all to know that this is, this is where I'm at. The, there's no known cure for pancreatic cancer. And so he said, stage four, the doctor said, is kind of the end. But man, he said, pray for us. Pray for Kathy and I. That was the name of his wife. And man, pray that God would, if it would be his will, that he would heal us. But then this was one of his prayer requests that stuck out to me. He said this, Pray for Kathy and me that we would use this opportunity to be weaned from the joys of this world and to desire God's presence above all. Weaned from the joys of this world to find their fullest satisfaction in God alone. So my word to us this morning is awake, O sleeper. We don't have to wait for a cancer diagnosis. We don't have to wait for some tragedy to come into our lives. These names of God can awaken us to the reality of who he is so that our response is like the angels in heaven. We cry out, holy, 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 and we worship him for every day. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your names. We thank you for your character, what is behind those names, who you are. And Lord, we acknowledge and we confess that there's many days where we do not glorify you. We glory in ourselves and we are distracted. And so Lord, today again, would you remind each and every one of us who you are, what you've made us to be, and that it is through grace alone that you have accomplished everything that we need to know you and to walk with you both here today and into eternity. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.